This is the Beige and the Bold, and today we are watching Masks. I am Van Velding, and I watched this episode when it originally aired. I'm Nameless Seed, and uh, I watched Star Trek in syndication shortly after it aired uh, in the early 90s, and uh, this is a fantastic episode. Mostly, mostly does it for me. Really enjoyed it. Cool. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. And three, two, one, engage. So, uh, it's a good slice of life thing. Good way to start things off. Ties into the rest of our episode. I always like when they start with the school. Yeah. Reminds you about the, how there's just regular life things going on, on this ship. Between all the action. Yeah, knowing what happens in this episode, I kind of wonder what happens to, uh, Eric's bird here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's no telling. I, I, I think, I think at the end they tell us that everything goes back to normal. So seems maybe it turned into a really good looking bird and he was like, yeah. yes, passed. And it turned back into his crap bird and he had to redo it. <laughs> Our antagonist may have uh, been like, oh, it's a nice bird. I'm going to upgrade it a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Might do like Joker in the 89 Batman. He's like, no, Bob, I like this one. <laughs> Appeals to the archives aesthetic. So that's kind of a weird one. I a lot of season seven has had a lot of development on Data's part as part of his humanity. And we know that he's done abstract paintings before. But um You're right. Here, yeah. yeah. Here he's he's kind of doing a, a literal interpretation of things. Yeah. He's a robot. This is a show made to be syndicated, so yeah, you gotta you, you you start from you start from that beginning point on in some ways, yeah. So I don't begrudge it. It's uh, it's an episodic show. So well, and I wonder if uh, I you, you could explain it away by saying Data can't extrapolate from painting to working with clay. So maybe there's that. Yeah, it could be it. <laughs> and here he, here and here he goes with the oh, this uh, speed effect they've used a few times in the show. Yeah, it's pretty effective. So. And that's something, you know, that's a musical symbol he's interpreted. <laughs> yeah, Troy's a li- yeah Troy's a little nonplussed with it, but it's not bad. Yeah, I like that. You know, Data's learning about these these human things with the kids, like it's. Yeah, like maybe it's like a Montessori school where the kids go to classes they're good at. And if you're an adult, you can go there too. Yeah. Learn something. That comet looks pretty good. Yeah, I was wondering if it was remastered or not. I I didn't look it up. I know some of this series is remastered on Netflix. So the, uh, I wonder if that comet's one of those things. Because we see an effect later that looks pretty good. So. I think the same studio did uh, the Comet and DS9's intro. Hmm. Okay. That's a pretty nice Comet, too. But yeah, different Yeah, it, it looks... Yeah. I yes, like data, this. That. It seems like one of the, the rare instances where we talk about millions of years in Star Trek, and it actually kind of tracks... It does, yeah, yeah. The comet's been moving for eighty-seven million years or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, makes sense. In the original series, things would be millions or thousands of years old, and you'd be like, 
Seems like a lot. Seems like I'm not 100% sure the universe is that old, but okay. So. Yeah, it was the 60s, though. They were still trying to figure out how, the, how old the universe was. Totally, so. yeah. It's it's interesting to see the science fact as it's developed kind of influence the show from back then to now. And there's probably stuff in, uh, you know, Discovery and some of the newer series that are going to put this stuff, uh, make this stuff obsolete. That would be a pleasant surprise. I haven't watched a lot of Discovery, so, um, you know, I haven't. I've seen Star Trek Picard. I haven't noted it for its scientific rigor, but um, nah, it's, it's all drama. Yeah, but uh, I, given I assume that Counselor Troy's history that isn't in episodes is enough to make her excited about uh, Secret Admirer <laughs> instead of slightly more trepidatious. From what we've yeah, seen is she it. not? Is she, is she not worried about this? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they live in a universe where mostly things are benign. So, I think a good joke there would have been, well, it's not a Horgon, so it's not Riker. Yeah, I do like that she she and Riker know each other well enough to distinguish their gift-giving styles. Yeah. So, I guess there is something of us in the gifts that we give to other people. Which is uh, it's nice. But again, it's it's kind of cueing us into our mystery. How is, like, the our antagonist for this episode is changing things on the ship, but uh, how are they doing that? Just a beam? They're just shooting, uh, shooting a beam at us that's just changing things on the ship? It's, it's unusual. It's it's a little weird. They say there's this is something they say a lot. I feel like they say, "Oh, they're using such and such as a carrier wave." And I'm like, "Okay." I'm sort of getting it. I mean, I I understand it's advanced. On the other hand, it's like if 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 are they going to use my radio? If I call somebody, are they going to use the cell phone signal as a carrier wave to turn my microphone into rocks? Right, yeah, yeah, Seems like exactly. Lot. Seems like not should... only not not only rocks, but like living things eventually. Eventually, living things. And it's like that's there has to be a little bit of of nuclear heat coming off of that or going into it. I'm not. I mean, I know a little bit about nuclear stuff, uh, and it just seems like you can't turn. Uh, can't turn hard metals and plastics into carbon without something happening with the neutrons, the protons. Yeah. So. Oh, Troy likes the mask. Yeah, it's a nice mask. It's pretty cool. Yeah. She's more impressed with that than the triple clef. Yeah. So, but we're starting to get our mystery together. And it's an elegant way to put it together. With Deanna's random thing that happens to Deanna and uh, her relationship with Data. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many graduated cylinders. Those kids are going to learn the hell out of art. <laughs> so, nope, there's two yep. of our symbols. Yep, there we go. So, <laughs> it's such a weird screensaver effect. Yeah, they're kind of bouncing mm -hmm. along the 
these guys are waiting for it to hit the corner. They'll cheer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I guess in terms of they have to expose us to these symbols as part of the plot. And you're making a TV show on a budget, and you can't rewrite the entire visual interface of the ship. So just smack right. it on top and let it jump around, coast around. This is this is a nice bit of uh, coding here. There's just this little bit of lingering on data. Yeah. Yeah, just telling you something's not quite right. Yeah, there's a bunch of little little clues that lead up to this. Again, the execution's eh, kind of shaky, but like the what what they're trying to do is really compelling. So it's definitely more of a it's it's definitely oriented around the mystery uh, of this archive and what it's doing, and the the story that they sort of uncover. Yeah. Rather than a you know a morality play that that you know, normally you, you have in an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, and I, I like a good morality play. It doesn't always have to be that way. But, you know, I do like, I appreciate, you know, it's a really old archive. It's very advanced technology. And so it's doing weird stuff. But, you know, I kind of want a little more of, ah, here it is. Here's that effect. So. Here we go. Worf gets to use the phasers. <laughs> yeah. Good time for Worf. For archaeological purposes. <laughs> so, it's pretty cool. Pretty interesting looking structure. I, I like it. I, yeah. uh, you know, they easily could have been a, a you know, a sphere or, or something more generic, but they put some artistry into it. It looks pretty good. Yeah. It's a unique shape. I don't think it's a reused prop. We see those a lot. So. Yeah. And it is kind of intriguing. Of course, made of unknown materials. It's solid, so we can't go over there. It's just a big lump of something. And so, I like that Picard's like, there's no advanced cultures over there now. That's a million <laughs> years ago. I'm not. I'm not a big guy for canon and stuff, but I would be interested in seeing. Uh, I think. I think some of the novels have done it. Seeing the history of Star Trek throughout the millennia, simply because there's so many ancient civilizations that were out there. Yeah, I wonder if they've ever hit. Have they, we ever hit that 87 million uh, year mark before in some script? Yeah, I'm telling. So TNG's. Hmm? Oh, go ahead. Say, so TNG's been pretty good about not giving us millennia old societies. But. Yeah. So, your data. Does Picard, does Picard uh, just know offhand the Darcy system? Like, doesn't have anything there? Sometimes they do. And there might be briefs on whatever sector that they're operating in. Uh, I like so, that idea. Yeah. I mean... Th- they had to learn something from seasons one and two, where they just don't know anything about anything. Yeah. So, and we can see, uh, you know, in Star Trek Picard, um, after he's out of Starfleet for a while, he doesn't know anything about what's happening in the galaxy. So, I mean, that could be because he was kind of in self-imposed exile, or it could just be because 
primarily his new source is briefings from Starfleet. And once he's out of Starfleet, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't read yeah, the news or anything anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally tracks. And speaking of uh, Patrick Stewart's not best work, I feel like he's not giving it a lot here. So some of this stuff feels a little rote. It uh, it fits really neatly into the character that they've written. Um, you know, it's a good it's it's a good use of the character. He kind of can take him through the take him through the mystery here because that's his background. All you know, archaeology. Yeah, oh, yeah. It fits in his character. The archaeology thing is in Picard's wheelhouse. So. And they've made use of it in season seven. I think you mentioned Gambit in the pre-roll, and that was a good one. So, um, the one in season six with this old teacher, The Chase, which wasn't a good uh, episode, but it used his archaeology pretty effectively. Yeah, and that one is another uh, discovery of a of an extremely ancient culture, right? Uh, yes, yes, that one was. So. And I mean, it's it's an ancient culture we promptly forgot about Um, (laughs) because it's like, oh, everyone, not everyone, but most everybody in the, uh, the alpha and beta quadrants is related. They have a common ancestor. That's how evolution works. We threw DNA at your world. Yeah. Hmm. But I think, I think Picard was the only one there interested in that theory. (laughs) I think once the Romulans heard that they were like, oh, gross. Yeah, every, everybody was kind of like, the Romulans were like, eh, maybe, maybe there's something there. They, they were that little sliver of hope that maybe the significance of that discovery wasn't lost on everyone, uh, besides Picard. It was a compelling episode. Should have been a two-parter. Yeah. So, but, you know, we, we've hinted at some more of our history, that, at more of our culture there, and kind of said, hey, look, just because this stuff is simple doesn't mean these people were simple. Which is a good lesson to have. Yeah. Again, good, good, good example of a more of a morality play uh, in that resolution. I like. Uh, I always like when they plug stuff into Data's head. <laughs> it's a pretty good effect. I, uh, I haven't seen this one. Yeah, hmm? it really no, it really works. It's a great effect. Yeah, and I don't. Uh, I haven't seen this episode in a while. I didn't haven't watched it too much since it originally aired. Uh, so, like, there's a scene where, oh, oh, is that the part where Data goes, what's it like to lose your mind? Yep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they have a little protocol for that. Like, Data asks that question, Jordy's like, yeah, that's cool. And he just taps, like, a few things on the console and cuts to Worf on the bridge. And he's got, like, a little beeping light. He's like, yeah. He gets out phasers, chooses <laughs> two security guys, gets into the holodeck, gets into the turbo lift. And then yep. it cuts to him and those three guys in the shuttle bay. They get in a shuttle and they just leave. We just get out of there. <laughs> Roll credits. Yeah. Like, Worf isn't hanging around for that. <laughs> no. No. So, yeah. I think he's been he's been thrown around by Data a couple of times by now. Yeah, he doesn't want to deal with it again. I, they oh, lingered Data, on that bit. This? Huh? Oh, that gack in his head. Yeah. Yeah, they lingered on what it looked like a minute ago. I'm like, that's weird. That, that, why are you lingering on this? And it's like, oh, yeah, they change it in just a second. So... Creepy stuff. Um, Brent Spiner kills it throughout this entire sequence of, of scenes. He's doing a lot of interesting stuff. I don't know yeah. if the 
I, it wouldn't surprise me if the hey let me hop up on the warp core thing was a was an improv. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean, he's got to be as undata as possible, and that's uh, that is it. So, I until I watched this episode this time, I thought he said Misaka is waiting, not waking. Both scary. Both scary. Either yeah, either, either's a little bit terrifying. What a great line! It just the way he delivers that. Yeah, he, yeah. He's doing so much heavy lifting. All these characters that he's got to play. Yeah, it's a creepy episode. Like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, I don't want to say horror in here but there's there's a little bit great job you security guys he just charged the captain you did nothing just just take a smoke break dudes yeah i like this pose (laughs) that he does yeah it's a little awkward but um ultimately works this uh this e-hot character uh he's playing it really gives me uh tom hiddleston loki vibes (laughs) yeah yeah i can see that so he's very sneaky, I guess. I don't know if you saw the, the mini series for Loki that they had a while back. I did, yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely got that kind of you know, I'm sneaky, I got away, it's kinda of bad for you type of deal to it. So He's playing the, the, the archetype very well, the trickster character. Yeah. Of course. Um this was a nice surprise. He sees Troy. He thinks Troy is Masaka. I don't know if they ever totally explain that. Why do they think he, she's Masaka? We're about to cut to commercial, I think. I think that's why. Yeah. We need a hook to keep him to come back after the laundry detergent commercials. <laughs> no, maybe not. So. There's but, the, um, uh, the symbol on his chest uh, starts to change. I, I think you might have mentioned that. Yeah, it's a good visual indicator. I mean, Brent Spiner's acting does, I think, all the indication we need. But, you know, for a general audience, it doesn't hurt to have a big sign on his chest that says different person now. And I'm wondering, you know, we're watching this in the in the remastered version. I don't remember registering that change, uh, that symbol on his chest, just on the old, you know, CRT screen back in the day. Yeah, well, it's it's a color change too. They that's the emblem and the color that changes. Mm. So that's true. That helps. So, and again, people process things differently. I, you know, I'm a comic book reader who has a hard time reading comic book visual language. So, there's a lot that happens, you know, sometimes visually that I don't catch at the first glance. I have to go over it and kind of focus on it. So, you never know who's going to need that to kind of tell the difference. So. You can get a lot of a lot of stuff after a, a, on a rewatch or or rereading something. Yeah. So again, I think Troy should have been here for this. I think this is an overuse of Captain Picard. I appreciate his archaeological expertise, but you know we're in the realm of of culture and emotions now. And they and they lean on, you know, it's, there's a reason all the movies are all heavily focused on Picard and Data. They they really lean on them in the show, but they could have could have expanded that to the other characters a little bit. And I agree with you. I think Troy would have been a great choice. Yeah, or they could do they could do double duty. You know, they could cooperate. There's a lot of times where Picard and Troy can cooperate. Yeah, we're we're in a Picard episode, so this is this is where we are. So uh, we're also in a situation where everybody. 
you know, kind of like a, a general fantasy setup where everybody talks about something obliquely. They don't just tell you what the deal is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Particularly uh, Ehot and all these characters from the archive. Yeah, yeah. They're not just... I mean, you know, if the archive... If, if its purpose is to get people to appreciate its culture um, by having to interact with it, then... You don't just tell people things. You have to make them engage with it and have an experience with it instead of just copying things. It's a similar concept to uh, the inner light, actually. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities between these two episodes. Where, you know, it's, it's two records from different ships, from different civilizations, and we're kind of going through it to get acquainted with it. You know, they're both yeah. people who are gone now who are trying to, to reach across time and get people to to care about who they were. Cultures that want to be more than just a, a line in a history book. This is a scary moment right here. Yeah. yeah. He grabs Picard's hand. Yeah, and he grabs it hard. Because yeah. the, the consciousness doesn't know that it's in an android. Uh, just, we go switch and pick. Yeah, back to and that, that may be that may be the best bit of uh, acting from uh, Stewart in this episode. <laughs> he did that pretty well. Yeah, he did. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna commend him on that little chair bump. That was uh, pretty solid stuff. So a little touch that shows him, you know, off kilter, running into things. So see, and the thing is, like this horror theme is great. Spiner sells it, the darkness sells it, and then it's like, here's some styrofoam props with palm fronds on it. Are you not <laughs> scared? And it's like, hmm, I don't know. You know, it could be, this thing could be transforming the magnetic bottle around the antimatter, making it go poop, and the antimatter goes away. Then the antimatter touches the regular matter, and there everybody yeah. dies. Yeah, that that's supposedly happen. a big deal on these ships, right? But... Yeah. So, I mean, maybe the archive is smart enough to figure that out. And. I wonder. Yeah, like it's only transforming them a little bit. It's going at a certain pace. We know that's not transforming the whole ship at once, although maybe that's beyond its capability. Yeah. It How much, sig- yeah. How much intention is, is, is behind this? Is this, uh, is it. Is it a mistake? Is it kind of randomly converging with the ship or with data to to try to transmit this information or does it know what it's looking at? Yeah. Is it just trying to scare us? Is it just trying to scare us into engaging and talking to the people inside of it and, you know, looking at the symbols to try to understand it? Or maybe, maybe it was supposed to find a planet? Like, what if this thing had hit a planet instead of a starship? It's like a Genesis device, almost. The, yeah. the ability that it's got to remake, reform, you know, goes way beyond the replicator, apparently. Yeah. It's shooting, you know, matter transmutation beams at the ship. So. Um, like, if this thing hit a planet, like it, like you said, it'd be a Genesis device. It would change so much. Everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> Just... 
scene is so weird to me. Worf is like, huh, it's not functioning. Worf, you can fix torpedoes. You're a smart guy, Worf. <laughs> Come on, man. Put us, give us a little bit of techno babble. You don't need Jordy to fix it for you. You guys came up together. Is our Indiana Jones moment? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, snakes in the torpedo tube. That's, uh, that plane's over. I mean, we could try another torpedo, but, uh, nope. See, even this. Yeah. uh, The snakes especially bother me because so far this thing has (laughs) just been transmuting like inanimate objects. So, yeah. It can create live animals now. I mean, I guess it's that's ex- that's extremely powerful. I mean, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's got a lot more complexity there. No, no offense to palm trees or anything, but uh, you know, well, put all its resources into the snakes. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, like it, it's it's very intentional as well. So maybe the archive does know what's happening and it's actively frustrating their efforts. I have many questions about the observation lounge becoming a swamp because uh, oh. it's got. There's a second deck here. Is that second Cle- deck? Pete? Clearly, clearly they couldn't do it. Would have been great to see. Would have been yeah. awesome yeah. to see that. Something that's more than just the ship, but with the big styrofoam blocks and the palm fronds and the vines. <laughs> So, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions. I think at one point they say that 20% of their structure has been converted to the thing. I'm like, that's a lot for a ship. Like, yeah. how how much of a skyscraper's structure can you turn into stone before... Uh, it's not a skyscraper anymore. It's a street scraper. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like so much of this ship you can take away. They seem so not, not panicked. Yeah. <laughs> because like this just won't do this isn't appropriate at all have they just been i mean it's seven seasons have they just been through so much crap at this point that they're like oh boy here we go i mean that's fair probably so yeah so it's uh it's been a lot so it just and because like well let's just keep learning about this new society and culture there's nothing else to do so Oh, he wants to go back. He wants to come back for more. Yeah. So, but it's good. I mean, these are kind of the highlight of this episode. These little, all these little uh, conversations with, with these mythological characters. Yeah. 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 It's another question. Like some of these characters inside of him are mythological and some of them are like real people. Are they real people? Like that, that's how they act later. At the end, they, they they do say, "Yeah, there was there was maybe thousands of people inside him potentially." Yeah, which doesn't. I mean, again, like it's good for an archive that's trying to let people know what its civilization was like. But all we ever see are the the. I guess if they're mythological characters, they're real characters. It's just like the Kenneth Branagh interpretation of uh, Ehat. And uh, I forget this guy's name. It's Misaka's father is the old guy. I don't know if they, I can't yeah. recall if they named him. I'm not sure. But maybe this is like the Thomas Hiddleston version of Ehat, 
Because someone's <laughs> got to make that character, right? Out of myth. And that's all Loki is. That's all Thomas Hiddleston's Loki is, is just a character from a page and from history given a, an yeah. interpretation. I love, these little, I love these little choices that he makes. Yeah. Just these little side glances. He's pursing his lips here. <laughs> yeah. Because he's got he's to gotta make everything different for each one of these characters. He plays three or four of them, doesn't he? Yeah, about four different characters here. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, did Corgano stop chasing Masaka within the context of their mythology? Or is it just a, this is a myth that they're playing out for the archive? That's an interesting question. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's one that ah, they don't. That's almost a more interesting mystery than who exactly Misaka is, because we get a pretty good idea right away that she's not someone you want to be talking to. Yeah. Because she's, uh, you know, she is a constant. I can see how that works. Uh, but Corgano could change within their mythology. So maybe Corgano changed, so they sent this archive. And they have more technology in the Enterprise, but no warp drive, which is, it happens. Um, so it is, it points to that conspicuous lack of elder races in Star Trek. Um, so maybe something happened to, to the elements that Corgano represents. Maybe their planet forgot to change. Maybe it, maybe Corgano quit chasing Masaka because Masaka stopped going away. I've been trying to talk, you know, circumspectly about it, so as not to spoil the episode, but maybe their plan became tidally locked. It's uh, almost uh, <clears throat> not a perfect metaphor for climate change, but yeah. you could you could see it going that direction. Yeah, and they sent the archive because, uh, like, well, we're doomed. That's what yeah. happened to us. So. I mean, the things we've seen so far have been jungly scenes. So the swamp is a little wetter than you would sit, think that that would that would call for. But we got this old old man here again. Yeah, it's good. Or again, it could just be something that's up there. They make a new myth with Masaka and Corgano that the archive uses to engage people. Like a, much like the holodeck programs have a specific ending that they're looking for. Yeah. And like the holodeck programs, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Clearly. Hey, wait a minute. Where's Eric? Where's that kid? Did he get turned into one of those snakes or... What's Say, going on? Have, they haven't mentioned any members of the crew being turned into snakes yet. And that's one of the reasons I think maybe this is kind of like a... I think the holodecks are a really good analogy for that. Where maybe they're not going to destroy the ship and let everybody die, but they are going to scare them a little bit to get them to look into the culture. 
the odds of, well, you're right. I mean, it's changing so much of the ship that the odds of it hitting something just wrong that would I mean, forget about the antimatter. There's, there's how many other things that could cause the ship to, to blow up if it's not power is not sent to the right place. Yeah. I mean, they use plasma for this thing, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> they just make plasma and pipe it all over the ship. Like it's like, it ain't no thing, but it's a thing. Plasma's plasma's a thing. So you can't you can just start knocking out bulkheads. So. There's a lot more a uh, lot more of the horror element coming in here, talking about how Masaka tortures people. Yeah, is the is this a production error? This overhead shot here, he doesn't have the symbol yeah. on his head or on his chest anymore. I think you're right. I think it might have been because he would at least keep the symbol on his head for that, even if you're not going to put one on his chest. I think Maybe I think then. so. More here's the palm fronds. Yeah. Again, the hole is fine, though. So it seems very, very deliberate. So. And now they gotta take. Uh, <laughs> and now, now it's gonna take symbols. It's gonna accept them from the Enterprise. So. And it does feel like it is leading them from point to point. So everyone's like, oh, should we do it? It's like, well, we have zero <laughs> ideas, man. What Unless, else are you going to do? Yeah, you want to put a cutlass between your teeth and get shot at it through space? That cutlass is probably going to turn into a snake, guys. So let's just go with it. What are we doing here, Worf? Taking a stroll? Yeah. <sighs> this is just, you guys have shuttle bays for this, but all right. I'm saying a shuttle bay would be less off-putting. I don't know why they're at this exact location, because that can't be structurally sound. None of it can no. be. Yeah. <laughs> it's, maybe it's made of foldermite and other unknown materials that keep it st steady, but... Yeah. This set's not bad. No, oh, no, it's a fine set. Um... I'm more griping about the notion of taking a, a hallway on a starship and turning it into a, a big meeting room. You'd think they would use a, an, an open open area. Yeah. Apparently, if they're just going to do a magical screen wipe, then whatever. I guess a fade to. I don't know what that particular effect is called. We're putting it together. We're seeing Corgano and Masaka. We're getting the incredibly questionable um, astrological, astronomical, sorry, <laughs> questions behind this. So, but I guess it's an alien planet, right? Yeah. Does it's does does a moon and sun uh, work? work on every level here i don't know i i guess it's an alien masaka represents an alien sun corgano represents the alien moon and it's possible that a planet could work like minecraft where the sun and the moon are on opposite sides of the planet so just constantly each one chases the other here's a wharf is wrong moment oh yeah <laughs> or wharf thinks oh, like it's an animal yeah. He's take, he's taking it to another level though. Like he's he's contributing. He's like, ah, 
existence within his idiom. Worf is also a guy who seems like he could get some mythological elements down because of Cleon mytho- mythology. I think he's a little in in at least next generation. He's a little underutilized there because they they clearly yeah. paint him as knowing a lot about Klingon culture. Right. He'd but, he'd have to be able to extrapolate some of that knowledge. Actually, I don't know if we know anything about Klingon mythology. I think they have a mytho history where Kalos was a real guy. Um, we never hear about the mythology of their gods. Just not until um, not not until Deep Space Nine do they even <laughs> do they specifically mention it. I think I don't, I don't even know if they get into it until Deep Space Nine. But they have an afterlife. That's true. Yeah, and they have they got Kalos, Stovacor. and they're like, yeah. So yeah, I think the only mythological story we have about the gods is that Kalos murked them. So uh, Kalos and his bride. Yeah, Kalos and his bride. So. You guys got off easy, and you know it. Oh, boy. Yeah, they did. I guess when Data comes after you, you just take a dive regardless. I wonder why he didn't use the uh, the two-fisted Kirk maneuver. <laughs> he doesn't need it, man. So His hand has the power of two fists. <laughs> so. at, the very, at the very least. Oh, yeah, at the least, yeah. Ah, uh, you put it together, Captain. The sun and the moon. Yeah. So we finally get it. It's like again, it's not how our sun and our moon work. We have day moons; they're terrible. But uh, <laughs> there's nothing more relatable in Thirty Rock than the time that uh, Liz and Buzz Aldrin yelled at the day moon. But, uh, <laughs> get out of here, moon! You belong <laughs> to the night. That was a great one. Um, but yeah, but apparently that—that's what these guys had going on. So whatever. It's a general concept. Uh, now, see, now the ship's starting to come apart. Yeah. How'd you get in there? The door's on the other end. Just ninja your way in for no reason? Ah, yeah, right up on the throne there. There he is. Yeah. I'm sorry, Masaka. Are you doing anything else right now? Are you busy? Are you busy with Masaka stuff? The sun has a lot of paperwork. Hmm? No, the sun's probably spends all day on Reddit. Come on. Right. I love how indignant Worf was there. <laughs> you won't even yeah. listen to us. What a jerk this god is. Worf, go back to your room. Get a bat, let's sort it out. It is crazy these things never happen to Cleons, right? <laughs> they, they know better. They don't, go, they don't go mess around with artifacts. That's true. They're probably, yeah, Comet. Cool. Where are we going again? <laughs> I'm going to take over this planet. Oh, yeah, let's get back to that. What are we, Marauders? Yeah. Oh, this is the where I was like, maybe we shouldn't do it, Captain. But again, no choices, guys. No alternatives. What else are you going to do? Just keep, just keep playing through the play, man. Flip over the next page of the script. We take that on a textual or metatextual level, okay? (laughs) 
I was like, wow, maybe we've gone about this the wrong way. I mean, there's only been one way you guys can go about this. What else? Yeah, what else can you do? You just did the mask. Yeah. The card's like, God, I need to do this myself. I'll, I'll ad lib something. It's like, whoa, whoa, well, whoa. I also love the idea that uh, Picard's like, he's sort of hesitantly like, oh, well. I, well, I guess we need to in, in, insert myself into their culture. It's like, oh, come on. Like, that's not your fantasy, dude. <laughs> I mean, man, really, like, you could talk to the empath. Sometimes when Data has feelings, she can feel them. She's got a lot of cultural heft behind her. Or I'm sure you guys have an actual archaeologist. No, he is an actual archaeologist who dabbles in acting. But still, <laughs> you can pretend like you don't have to do it, okay? You'd be like, oh, we could we could have Ensign, Ensign Jones do it. He's... You know, he's, he's, he's part of an improv troupe. And shouldn't one of them say, like, hey, actually, you're the captain. We should, this is a little risky. We should let someone else do this. I mean, they could say that. I mean, it's as substantial as any other objection they've put up. <laughs> so. See, I think this looks credible. This does not. See, serious, comedic. I think it just works better for data then the Corgano mask works for for Picard. It's got a, like a sheen to it that doesn't quite work. Yeah. The mask itself is also pretty reflective. Yeah. So I've gone seven seasons about making <laughs> oh, a bold joke. Whoa. It's oh. not... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying you could have made any mask you wanted to and you didn't flatter what you were working with here, Patrick Stewart-wise. Um Oh, they really didn't. Oh god, I can't unsee it now. Yeah, it looks. <laughs> I just, I just feel like there could have been a more flattering way to do this. So, and I, I, I think maybe the hair would have leavened that that image a little bit if somebody else was doing it. So, but hey, you know when you're when you're doing weird space thing with aliens, it does. It's not always aesthetically um, pleasing to a television viewer. I get that. Space is wacky and weird. Oh, there's a little, uh, little romantic tension going on here between uh, <laughs> Masak and Corgano. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned that in the pre-roll, that Masak is a female and Brent Spiner just plays her that way. I, um, very, little, very little to code that beside just his acting, which is great. Yeah, and they could have just written Masak as a dude. And not even thought twice about it. But they're like, you know what? We're going to make Misaka a woman. We're going to have Brent Spiner player. Done. Yep. So. Yep. The masks give it a kind of a Shakespearean feel here. There's a little play that Picard was obviously eager to to play out here. Yeah. So again, they were on an elevated dais. And uh, when they made this room, they were also on the ground floor of this hallway. But then they walked up the stairs... And then the room went away, and now they're still on the... Like, there was just so little thought put into this. Oh, jeez. Yeah, no, the spatial reasoning there is totally... Yeah. Look, man, oh, if, it was so the, wrong. if it was the holodeck, it'd be like, oh, they made a treadmill with the tractor beams and gravity flickered. It feels like they were walking upstairs, but they weren't. But no, no, they actually physically made that place. No, they should have just fell 10 feet, 10 feet to the ground and, and hit their butt on the floor. It would have been hilarious. While you're making that Corgano mask, 
Yeah, uh, so question there. If that's a real mask, then why did it vanish when the room went away? Is that... Are you guys going to answer that question at all? No? Okay. You guys are going to talk about how Data has significant human experience, but it doesn't <laughs> match with the rest of the episode. All right, cool. Yeah, thousands of thousands from all ages and walks of life. Yeah, it does sound pretty cool. It sounds like a pretty cool thing to go to that we don't... I guess we kind of focus on it. I mean, we focus on the mythological characters that are in there. So, I, mean, I guess those characters could have been a gestalt of the civilization's idea of those characters. That would have been interesting. If you've got to distill the, the whole culture into a single story. Yeah. It's a bit of a grim one, but if that's the foot they want to put forward. Yeah. So I just, I can see the things it was trying to do. It's probably a little more ambitious than in one episode with this budget. But uh, final thoughts, masks. Uh, you know, again, uh, mostly works for me. Um, I, I think there it does lack that uh, morality play resolution. We don't we don't get a, a moral ending so much. We see data in a way exploring his humanity, uh, sort of by force. <laughs> um, but we don't really know what the we don't really know what the impact to him is exactly. Right. He's just fine, and it just seems like like there were some good ideas they could have taken and ran with, but the mechanics of of putting stakes in there, injecting stakes into the story, uh, really detracts from the cool ideas that are in it. You almost want something that's more similar to uh, you know inner light. Um, which, hey, if you're going to steal off of your own ideas, go ahead and steal off the great one. Because um, the impact to Picard at the end of that episode is is significant. Even even though they don't, there's not a lot in the script, he plays it so heartbroken. Yeah. He's and great. Like, with sorry, Data, no. well, with Data, you just, you know, where, where do you go? Yeah, I experienced all these cultures, but I don't have any emotions to process what that, means yeah and we're we're so interested in not not even the mystery of the archive but the mystery of the fact that we're supposed to play a part in a play in the archive and get what it means and that's like the most surface level interaction so it's a little disappointing but um it's cool so i uh did I cut off your final thoughts? Did you have more? I'm sorry. No, that's that's it. Um, okay. Had a great time, though. Loved, loved the episode for the most part. Um, like you said, some things could have been done better, but yeah. um, for my money, not too bad. Yeah, well, that, that's my refrain. I always say that. Uh, next week, I'm going to be watching Eye of the Beholder, and until then, remember Rand. I'll make this short because... Everyone hates credits. Star Trek is property of CBS Television Studios. We are watching Star Trek The Next Generation on Netflix. We are talking on Discord. And we are recording and editing in Audacity, the free audio editor and recorder. The Beige and the Bold is hosted on Anchor and can be found on most podcasting platforms. Thank you to Patreon's Tracker by Moonlight and Miss Jess for their contribution. I'm not always as focused on the Beige and the Bold as I should be, but they remind me that as long as this is important to even a few people, it's worth doing. Thank you all, and remember Red.